If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be cursed. Shit. That's not. That's a little dark. Yeah, that isn't what we're after. Let's go darker. Uh, a thousand curses upon your games. Whatever. <laughs> we'll work on that. We can fix it in post. Uh, and here's why. In this episode, we find some answers to what kind of curses hang over a character but don't make one infuriating to play. How do you make fun detriments to your characters? And why do we curse? Because it's fun. Shit. Hell damn it. Poop pop. Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. So I'm trying to keep the energy alive because I was creatively cursed yesterday. Self-inflicted curse. (laughs) Self-infliction. I was cursed with the uh, ongoing detriment of spinning room and... Exhaustion. Exhaustion. Feeling wretched. That was a serious... A good curse is a hangover. And I was laughing the whole time. Oh, that was rough. (laughs) But we're back at it, feeling right as rain, sort of. So what is a good curse? What are the characteristics of a good curse? And we started talking about this after we came across a list of 100 curses on the uh, D100 subreddit. And some of them were really good, ton of fun. And then we saw some others, and some of those would be completely insufferable to play as a character. So we were just trying to figure out what makes some good and some bad. Yeah, what makes a curse good, and what makes it an unending nightmare, and how do you hit a middle ground with those? Because you want a curse to feel shitty, but you also don't want it to piss off a player and make their character annoying to play. Losing all of your abilities is not necessarily a fun curse. I think, yeah, curses are relatively easy to do, but I think they're really tough to do well. Yeah. Just to give an example, there was one that said the character would become incapable of ignoring direct orders given to their person. Ugh. Fun in theory, but number one is super powerful. (laughs) I think that there's some spells that uh, do a lot less than that, and those are powerful. And ultimately, it takes over a character's free will. Yeah. Which, yeah, it does sound fun in theory when you're coming up with that. Oh, yeah. And then they won't be able to stop from walking closer towards the edge or whatever the case may be. But it can very easily be abused and it completely takes away player agency. Yeah. Which I'm there playing a character because I want to play my character, not I want to play Someone else's character. Weird servant of everyone else. Manchurian candidate level of, (laughs) yeah. There was another one that was the character is unable to sleep when others are sleeping within a 60-foot radius. Again, seems a little fun at first glance, but after the first time that you figure out the logistics of sleeping 60 feet away, it either gets brushed under the rug or becomes very annoying every time you need to take a rest. Yeah, I think mechanically, this is just a nightmare because it singles out a cursed character as just being a pain in the ass to the rest of the party, puts them outside of camp when you're resting so that you're a 
low-hanging fruit for the closest <laughs> owlbear. Yeah. And of course, you got fun ones like the character must only speak in rhyme. That's hard. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the way this, again, fun in theory, huh, the, that's an interesting kind of role-playing challenge to try and speak in rhyme. But if you don't think like this, which I do not, <laughs> if you ask me to rhyme stuff, I'm terrible at it. So it's really difficult to do, and more than likely, it's just going to end up alienating a player throughout the game because they're not going to talk because they can't think. They're sitting there thinking of rhymes. They're not playing the game. Yeah, you might get a few jokes out of it at the beginning, but very quickly it becomes unplayable. So what the hell does all of this mean? How do we do this well? Yeah, it's easy to poke holes and stuff, but uh, <laughs> let's get into our segment and actually figure out what makes them work. This is the Strategy Stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. So why are we cursing people? Are we just throwing shit at them just to ruin their day? Pretty well. That's all <laughs> it's there to do. All right, we're done. Just make the game less fun. No, like you pose a good question. Why include it in the first place? And... After you and I kind of sat down and really chewed through curses and all of the different kinds of curses and how do we categorize them and then what makes them fun in the first place, just so that we could maybe distill some rhyme from all of this reason. Ah, back to the rhyming curse. No, <laughs> no, not a rhyming curse. Rhyme jime time. <laughs> I'm too hungover to dissect those. I don't think some of those rhyme. It boils down to four reasons. We're either cursing to enrich role-playing, give players something to work with to make their characters more interesting and fleshed out and fun to play, challenging mechanics. So do we want to just throw more challenge into the game? Kind of like puzzles almost yeah. within the mechanics of a curse. We can do it to tell a story, give a character something to overcome or it's part of the narrative of the underlying story. Or, and I think this is the one that gets leaned on the most when it comes to character curses, just fuck with people. That's it. <laughs> you just want to be an asshole. <laughs> Messing around. And mm -hmm. that's not a bad thing. Yeah. But there are ways, we think, to do this well. And we think it's important to just know that's what you're doing. Yeah, ultimately it comes down to doing things for a reason with a very specific purpose. And if we're doing that, then we can more than likely achieve those results much more masterfully. So let's start with a good role-playing curse. So role-playing curses are for players or games that are focused on that character growth and interest. How do we do this effectively? Well, some of the questions to ask, we can start with, is it fun to actually play out? And I think a good little rule of thumb is if the curse were to play out five times, would it still be interesting or does it just get really stale really fast? Yeah, yeah. A curse like this character can only speak in baby talk or this character can only sing. Interesting for about five minutes and then it starts to become really frustrating. It takes away actively from that character's interaction with the game. And curses are still supposed to be rough because otherwise it's not a curse. True. But 
Yeah, exactly. You know, if you run this through in your head five times in a game, is it infuriating? Do you get bored with the concept before you go in there? And if so, then maybe we want to refactor that curse a little bit. The other one is, is it allows for more interesting roleplay that doesn't affect the game. So I'll give you an example of this. In the book, Life After Life, which is a novel by Kate Atkinson, this actually came up in a really cool blog post about curses. And in it, it was highlighted that the main character, Ursula, dies. Her life begins again from infancy. And this allows her to live out all sorts of alternate histories, each time with a faint sense of deja vu that steers her away from her previous cause of death. This could be such a cool curse. And it has no effect on the actual mechanics of the game, but it allows the player to play within this weird space where this might be a really great way for a character that is weary of specific traps. Give them more options for what motivates them to do the things that they're doing or stay away from things. And from the standpoint of a role-playing curse, this is really interesting because it allows the player to lean on this character's fears of certain hallways or like you can make a, a dozen different decisions within the same dungeon to say, oh, I don't want to go down there and I'm not sure why. Yeah, it kind of keeps you in character when you might be making those decisions that are a little bit more coming from a logical place, but you can't explain why your character would want to do it. Yeah, totally. And one of the other side effects of this that I thought was really, really cool Let's say that that character dies during the exploration of said dungeon. Pit trap. Gelatinous cube. Sure. So if the character dies, I don't think it would feel as gut-wrenching. Imagine all of the other players in that role-playing group. All of the other characters would go, oh, she's not, she's not actually dead. Let's go find that baby. <laughs> that baby somewhere <laughs> just got, well... And then, yeah, like, oh, we're just in the timeline or this one alternate reality right. where she died. But there's another one where she lived and she's still figuring out that trap. Hmm. Multiple universes. You could then make that into a quest for the game. Find a way to enter that alternate universe. Because this is D&D. &D. You can do that. Some of the ones on the list that were really good are ones that provide deeper character behavior. And I think that's what this role-playing curse bit kind of comes down to, which is, does it give the character something to work with? So a couple of the really cool ideas, a player is stalked by an imp who simply follows him, saying nothing, always staring. No one else can see the imp. And that was actually submitted by Reddit user Jamba Juice Jakey. I thought that was interesting because your character keep seeing this none of the other players see it and it just gives you something to work off of it gives the dm another way to interact with that character in a unique way because sure they're suggesting that he says nothing always staring but you can say a lot with a stare you sure can <laughs> that imp could look nervous as shit it could look excited for what they're about to do it could point to hints yeah. when that character makes an insight check or an investigation role all of a sudden, this invisible imp is now giving the player some help. Or Maybe it could be actively working against him. 
maybe sometimes it's working <laughs> against him as a, as a good curse should. <laughs> Another really good one was the player receives at least one false vision from their deity a day. And that was from Reddit user Xbox Addict 77. And that was a neat idea because if I'm a paladin and I'm being shown false visions of a doomed thing or, you know, I'm, I'm being shown visions of some of my party members being killed, like I can do a lot with that role playing wise in the game. My character can make all kinds of different decisions based on these false visions. Now, as a DM, would you do that work yourself or put that on the player? Yeah, I think it's something that I as a DM would try and work with the player just to like say, hey, you're cursed. Here was my idea. I want you to run with this. How does this affect your character? And that can be in or outside of the game, but then at least you're both on the same page, right? Yeah. They can discuss those curses if it comes up in the role play, but you don't need to explain every vision. Yeah. I, as a DM, really like a curse that puts most of the work on the player to go ahead and spitball some of these ideas and just play within that space. Okay. So what makes a good mechanics curse then? For games that might focus more on the rolls of the dice or having more interesting challenges to overcome? Yeah, I think there's definitely groups that prefer to play D&D in a way that is really focused on hampering mechanics. And that's part of the fun is like thinking through puzzles. I think one of the hallmarks of a good mechanics curse is it has an effect that doesn't restrict but introduces an additional condition. Player agency, as previously mentioned, it's just so freaking important because that's the whole reason we're there. Yeah. So taking that away is a really dangerous game to play. And like we talked about earlier, incapable of ignoring direct orders given to a character, that's a bit much. That's just... You're a puppet now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's yes and taken to the max. (laughs) Every party member is cursed (laughs) with this. (laughs) Everyone's just telling each other what to do. So having something else that if we're going to take that yes and approach and say, okay, we're going to yes and a curse, that means I'm not going to stop you. So incapable of ignoring orders given to them is just me saying, you're going to do this. And you're not gonna you're not gonna do anything with that. You're just gonna obey. Whereas if we tweak that a little bit and went with, say, a curse that says, yes, you can do whatever it is that you're going to do, and this is going to happen. So as the curse is activated, the target's hands detach from their wrists and scuttle away, and new hands grow in their place. For the rest of the day, every time they cast a spell, the same thing happens. The hands remain animated until destroyed and do their best to make some terrible mischief. (laughs) So if this is a, say, a 24-hour curse where every single time the spellcaster casts a spell, their hands detach and asshole hands are scuttling around doing all kinds of stuff, now all of a sudden you're just, we were in the middle of doing this, but now we have to kill your hands. Yeah. Because they're unzipping my fly and tying my laces together. (laughs) Or it's adding to a fight that's already in progress, making it weirder. Oh, yeah. That's extra level. Like, we did this. That's another hallmark, which I think is really fun, which is we can do this, and it's not going to stop me from casting a spell, but I just have to deal with the results. Yeah. And I'm not going to not cast spells. 
It just means that, yeah, I now have this other thing to overcome. And that's a good curse. And that's one of those concepts that when you add it to a game, it can go in a lot of different directions. Like some player could decide they want to start catching hands. <laughs> now I have a I have a basket full of hands. <laughs> Hand army. <laughs> Unleash that. Yeah, throw that into the next uh the next bar, the next tavern you go into. Oh, you want to see my hand collection? <laughs> my God, what? <laughs> Another aspect of a good mechanics curse, I think, is it provides a tricky situation or a puzzle to overcome. Here's an example. All of the player's equipment glows brightly for 24 hours. This is a challenge. Yeah. It can be overcome. Very... Depending on your situation, it's more or less challenging. Yeah. You either have to, you know, stuff all of your armor into a bag and go armorless. You could cover it up. You could paint it. You could, you know, there's a lot of different things to do with this situation, but it might be challenging for a little bit. And also, it's timely. And it adds something to the character. Like you said, if you're going to paint your armor, all of a sudden you've got different armor yeah. happening. And just when you're talking about a, a puzzle to overcome... I was thinking this might be an interesting short curse. Your body becomes untethered from your mind when pushed. Anytime you take the dash action, you get an extra five feet of movement, but you can't go anything short of your full movement. So you're just booking it every time you like try it, and take the dash action. Yeah, if you need to go far, you have no option but going your farthest. So you're basically playing like the snake game. If you're using any kind of tabletop map, you're just yeah. like, how do I make it to my destination in the longest, you know, 60 feet or 65 feet? So, yeah, there are ways to do mechanics. And I think another hallmark of a good mechanical curse is that it could be a boon or a burden given the situation. Yeah. There's always trade-offs. So, you know, for instance, the player's equipment glowing brightly that could actually be a huge help, but it gives away your position to it, everybody within that dungeon. Yeah, but if you're trying to persuade somebody that you are a messenger from the gods, that might help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was another really interesting one that came up from Reddit user Yearlong Summer, who said, after a long rest, a random amount of gold pieces the character is carrying is randomly changed to an amount of either electrum, silver, or copper pieces of the same worth, increasing the number of coins. So it wouldn't take long for pockets to become overflowing if a character doesn't spend loose change. Now that that's really interesting. If you are going that mechanical and doing like weight and encumbrance and things like that, one of my favorite things that I ever did to you guys as a DM was give you a treasure hoard because that became the adventure yeah. of trying to get that treasure hoard from a really difficult place and trying to move it and protect it. And, you know, that's a good mechanic of going, how are you going to deal with this issue? It's yeah. great. You have a limitless amount of money, but holy hell, you're going to have a hard time dealing with it. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with it. It was this huge piece of metal that was super valuable. We had to figure out how to cut it up and sell it and get it into cities without it being noticed. I disguised it as cheese for a while. <laughs> We're cheese merchants. So that was, yeah, that was a fun curse. Playing within that space, I came up with another short curse. Whenever you're within five feet of another creature, they gain your racial abilities for one minute. Wait, they gain? Yeah, they absorb your... <laughs> racial abilities 
Now, that's, that's a little weird. I think that the wording in there is key. They, meaning that they had some action, but how you're describing this just means that the drow night vision just gets pushed to the person that they're yeah. next to yeah. against their will. <laughs> what, do you think that's a bad thing? <laughs> no, but that would be very alarming. Well, yeah, I think it's one of those examples of helping or hindering you depending deeply on the situation you're in. This is true. You won't run up to a goblin and all of a sudden they have the ability to cast darkness. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hell no. Okay, so what makes a good story curse? Well, for the full thematic arc kind of engagements where the payoff is some distance in the future, I think makes a good story curse. This is something that's going to stay with the group for as long as it needs to. So you could tie it into a quest, possibly created by an antagonist. It's something you got to overcome throughout the story. You know, at the culmination of your vanquishing the antagonist, that's when you drop the curse. Okay. Do you have an example of that? Well, this is a simple version of it, but you have seven days before the necromancer's crystal finds and enters your heart. It's unstoppable in its goal, moving slowly but surely through any obstacle, you know, kind of like Iron Giant style. Maybe it's stoppable, but, you know, only by dropping the necromancer's blood onto the crystal or some specific thing like that. One of the hallmarks of a good story curse, I think, is that long-running aspect. So if you do introduce a long-running curse, it has to be something that's low-level and present, but also doesn't require constant attention, which means you can actually carry out a story. Right but this threat is always looming. Right. So an example of this might just be something as simple as just visions of doom. Uh, going back to what if your deity is showing you visions of a uh, fatal future and you can add some kind of short rest versus long rest mechanic. It's not going to break a game. So for example, if you have one of these visions, it may help you in the game you can see visions of an end game. It really allows a DM to provide a lot of direction to the story and drop hints at a future that you're driving towards Yeah, if your game is really story-driven. Kind of give them that help when you don't really have another way to. Well, it, yeah, it allows you to provide some exposition. So your one character is getting really cool visions and helpful visions of a dark future that you're trying to prevent. And granted, that's helpful to the character, but maybe they don't gain their long rest benefits. Okay. They just get a short rest instead whenever they have those kind of visions. Uh, it always helps to have it thematic to the story you're telling. So like if you have a campaign about ridding a vampire enclave, you can inflict a character with vampirism that they're then trying to get rid of. That's some serious character motivation. It also has that good and bad aspect to it maybe that player actually really digs having the benefits of a vampire who doesn't well there's always the daylight sensitivity and things like that the the bursting into flames but well it's so cold outside right now anyways that i'm pretty much a vampire right now <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you could have a negative role-playing trait you could center the curse around that uh, especially if the character is like a noble paladin or something they hate what they are, yeah, and they're out to kill them. Very similar to uh, Blade, internal struggle always good. I mean, I think that's really important to do with a really interesting story curse too. 
is reflecting the struggles or weaknesses that the character is trying to overcome. That was a great example of it, that vampirism thing. But, I mean, if a character is greedy, then give them the chance to trade a part of their soul for wild amounts of treasure. Maybe the first deal that they make with some forbidden power is a thousand gold in exchange for a point of their charisma. Maybe the curse is that it keeps repeating, but they didn't know that at first. Mm, and the yeah. curse finally ends when they're left with no material wealth. Because largely material wealth is not necessary in D&D. No. Look at the monk. They can make it. <laughs> Why can't you, Rogue? Yeah. Why can't you live without that money? Give up that dagger. I also think that a good story curse has something that will pay off in the long run. And one of the other ideas that I'd come up with was a group gets cursed. So you could even start a campaign off with this. Group gets cursed and gains riches and fame very easily. Okay. Good so far. Doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> but they are then plagued with those visions of a horrific death. And the more rich they become, the more those visions of their horrific death get worse and worse and worse until they realize that they have to stop the curse before they gain too much fame, notoriety, and riches as they adventure. Yeah. So they need to stop doing stuff for the appreciation and actually solve their problems. Yeah. Trying to actively avoid any kind of notoriety or material wealth from their adventures. Now they have to start doing it out of the kindness of their hearts and somehow figure out maybe who cursed them throughout that maybe, campaign. Maybe actually learn to hide their identities so that they're not so famous. Now you, you've created a whole team of vigilantes that are out there doing good work. Yeah. Heck yeah. Well, the final one is a goof-off curse. And I think this is... Yes! Finally! <laughs> this is your bread and butter, <laughs> damn it. This is where a lot of curses end up going. That was probably one of the most challenging categories in that D100 list of curses. Yeah. Which was, is this actually fun? It sounds fun. It sounds like a good goof-off curse. It's kind of weird. It's this, it's that. But would it actually be fun to play? Yeah. I think the main point to making a good, ridiculous goof-off curse when you just need to do it for the lols. Yeah, if that's the only purpose to it, then it's not related to story. It's not part of a character's development. It's just there to be weird and have fun with. But the most important rule of adding these curses is that they end. <laughs> yeah. Nothing is worse than a joke that never stops. Every single time you tell them, they just keep getting better and better with age. They're like a fine wine. That's why I like watching the first five minutes of comedy specials over and over. <laughs> Said no one ever. <laughs> so here's a really good example. This was another one from that list. It had a bit of oddity and it had all of the elements in there. So the cursed is compelled to repeat the last word of each sentence they say three times. Each time, speaking a little bit softer than the last. Last, last. <laughs> if the curse remains active for more than 24 hours, the cursed is compelled to dramatically flick their hands open and closed with each echo. <laughs> That's what you want to play out as a curse? That's my... Well, okay, but <laughs> you see, time, 
time, time. <laughs> Jazz hands. Jazz hands. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's weird. It, it's only going to last for a day. It's not putting a severe strain on your creative capabilities. Yeah, you cap it off at a, you know, one full 24-hour period. I would probably personally shorten that because a day can sometimes last a yeah. couple of sessions in D&D. Maybe an hour. However long, you know, is right for your game. And then, of course, for these ones, it's good to get weird as shit with it. Because if you're doing a short, fun curse, you might as well go off the deep end. All right, I'm on board. What do you got? Well, how about this? The cursed eyeballs pop out of their eye sockets super easy and turn into eye-shaped candies when they do so. God damn it. <laughs> if both eyes are removed, the cursed character is blind for one minute until new eyeballs, seemingly different from their original eyes in color and pupil shape, grow in. <laughs> this is so hard to follow. <laughs> what in the hell is happening? Your eyes pop out. You grow new ones in after a minute. Okay. So if you want to add a, a little more harshness to it, you could say that a melee attack against the cursed character has a 25% chance to dislodge their eyeballs. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and they're blind until they grow new eyes. Or if you want to add some good to it, you could have the eyeball candies enhance vision by 30 feet when they're consumed. So then you're tossing your eyeballs to your buddies to give them a leg Ew. up. <laughs> Ew. And this ends, I'm assuming. Sure. Okay. But I mean, it gives you something to do with that curse. Absolutely. One that I really enjoyed from the list was another one by Aperture Junkie ZA. The curse begins aging at five years an hour. When they reach 100 years, they die and an infant crawls from their body's clothing. It continues to age at the same rate until it reaches 20. Same character, same memories. But this is weird. It, it's only going to last a day. Yeah. It kind of gives you that humor of Groot regrowing, like, quickly and easily. You can play your character through the different stages of their life. Yeah, you get a chance to make the, oh, my back is super sore joke when yeah. you're old, and then you keel over. Everyone cries, and then this baby comes out, and they have to protect the baby for another, you know, short little period bit. of time. Yeah. yeah, so you get you get a little bit of fun. It it's going to end. It's really weird. It's dynamic. Okay. Do you want one more weird one? Or right. Are you cutting me off? <laughs> <laughs> one more weird one. Lay it on me. Okay, so here's a curse for a combat. Roll a d6 to determine a body part every time the cursed character takes damage. This body part triples in size, appearing swollen and bruised. This adds plus two to their strength-based rolls that use that body part, but cuts their speed in half because they got a big bulbous body part. <laughs> this curse can stack up to three times, meaning that you can get a, a bulbous leg, a bulbous head. <laughs> God damn. How's that? Uh, it's weird. And Thank you. it is hampering for sure. So this is going to be a huge pain in the ass but it doesn't stop anybody from playing and having fun. Yeah. It gives them a bonus to their strength. Yeah. And it gives them an opportunity to have their characters react to this weird stuff happening to them. This is where curses like this really need to kind of check themselves before they get used. Because you have to, when you're playing with goof-off curses, you have to take into account everyone's, Feelings on their characters. First of all, it has to fit into your story or into your world. Absolutely. It has to make thematic sense. If you're playing a super serious campaign, you might not want to go with the uh, the eyeballs. 
Sure. But ultimately, a good goof-off curse doesn't make the character or the player the butt of the joke, but the situation itself. And I think this is this comes with all kinds of comedy. But consider this one. Whenever a character is thinking something selfish or greedy, any character in the group, a slow fart emanates from nowhere. <laughs> Just echoes in the distance. So then every character gets to, you know, if they're wanting to express that they're having that thought they just jump in yeah and they can they can make the joke everyone gets to laugh oh who is thinking something greedy you know you got the untrustworthiness of that group and then they move past it yeah it's a recurring joke that they can bring back if they're still having fun with it and it's not something that's going to plague everyone forevermore right and what i like the most about it is that it as an example for a good goof off curse It does. It allows all of the players to participate in this enjoyment that you're having. True. It gets everyone involved. Group curse. That's good. We think those are some good guidelines to think about when you're considering what curses to add to your game. Just to go over those, the bad curses take away player agency, undermine the heroism of a character, introduce unnecessary challenges to role-playing, change the game or set the tone for long periods of time, or affects a part of the game that never gets talked about. And good curses allow for more interesting role play that doesn't affect the game, introduces an additional condition, the yes and. There are trade-offs, and they're thematic to the story. And most importantly, that they end. <laughs> Just like this episode. Don't worry. But we have another quick segment to talk about something really cool that we are going to start using in our games. So let's go to the Temple of Inspired Hands. This is the Temple of Inspired Hands, where amazing products and revolutionary ideas are brought to light. So recently in our game, we've been thinking about weapons and armor in Dungeons & Dragons. As our players really want some interesting gear, we don't want to give them the huge stuff. If you've never DM'd and you've always been a player, this is something that you might not have considered before. And it is the challenge of the DM when giving out items to the players. Yeah. Because you don't necessarily want to give overpowered stuff. You don't want to come up with items that your players don't actually want. Oh my goodness. This is a constant challenge of mine is, yeah, exactly. Not wanting to make my party immortal, unstoppable gods with (laughs) mega weapons, but also wanting it to feel good to get a new weapon yeah, or piece of armor. You don't want to be worrying about not giving enough cool stuff out. Do people start to lose interest in the game? Sometimes I find myself accidentally favoring certain character types because maybe I just like thinking about magic items for a rogue, so I'm giving the rogue tons of cool shit. Yeah, it is a real tricky balance to try to find in a game, and it's arguably one of my most challenging problems. Yeah. (laughs) Again, giving a character the keys to the universe Not that anything like the Staff of Orcus has ever fallen into anyone's hands in my games, (laughs) allowing them to access unspeakable dark powers and summon armies of undead. Oh, don't. (laughs) Just don't give the Staff of Orcus. Well, 
to be fair, if they can touch the staff of Orcus and survive, they kind of earned it. They risked their character's life. <laughs> yeah, but frustrated the crap out of me as a DM. That's a grave you dug yourself, sir. <laughs> exactly. That's my point. Well, that's why we're so excited for a new supplement that is available on the DM's Guild, and it's called The Complete Armorer's Handbook. And it's written by Heavy Arms, who is actually a regular on our Discord. So Heavy Arms and a team of designers and editors have put a ton of effort into solving all of these problems for us. The basic components of it are a system of upgrading weapons and armor and a system for adding runes to weapons and armor. It is such a nicely done supplement that it feels totally at home in the rest of the 5e books. It has a certain element to it that just feels good. <laughs> yeah. So what are some of those considerations? Well, he's thought about how every upgrade and rune interacts with the game that already exists. So everything feels like it fits into all of those rules you'll find in the Dungeon Master's Guide if you're using those. All of the upgrades and effects seem logical and real and range from minor to major, giving you a lot of flexibility. So there's nothing in there that I saw that was just like, oh, okay, that's nutso, and I probably won't consider it for my game. Well, what I liked about it is it could easily fit into high fantasy or low fantasy. Like, you could even keep in or toss out the runes, and you, you could fit that into a very strict historical fantasy kind of game. Yeah. Every detail that you could possibly need in your games using these systems has already been considered from an easy-to-understand pricing structure, how to apply multiple upgrades, how long it takes a craftsperson to apply these upgrades and runes. It has a runesmithing toolkit and everything that that entails. And it even includes a runesmithing guild you can add to your world, complete with ranks and downtime activities. He even includes a mathematical breakdown for those interested in looking closely at the balance of the system. And he's got an FAQ in the, at the end. <laughs> so this is honestly one of the best supplements we've ever seen. And what I like the most is that it gives the power to the players in the magic items that they want. And for me as a player, I want to work on my sword. Yeah. How am I supposed to get an epic weapon? I either find it in a tomb somewhere, which feels honestly kind of cheap, or I could keep upgrading this one amazing sword that I will name one day and will go down in legends as the sword of my character. That's your sword now. That's not someone else's sword that you're now using. It's not something that you stole. It's not something that you found. It's your sword which of course you can still use this system to put them in treasure hordes. And it feels really scaled like all the way from level one to 20. Like it's in there for weapons and for armor. So as of this recording, this is the most popular item on the DMs Guild. So find the link to it in our show notes or just head over there yourself. It's a tremendous, tremendous piece of work. We're really excited to feature this particular supplement we're really happy and honored that Heavy Arms, the publisher of this supplement, is one of our guests on Discord. You should definitely come on and join him on our Discord. There's some really cool stuff that happens over there. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit as well at Hook and Chance. 
thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects you're hearing right now. And thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening and, and I curse you games. with the feet of a tiny poodle. I curse you with a tiny painter. Thank you.